0: All right. before we jump into the sermon with the introduction, I um, forgot to do something at the beginning, but good to do it here just as well. So last week you heard from Donna Jean Wheeler. I brought her in. I just, you know, recorded a voice memo when I was meeting with her. Well, I was meeting with someone else this week. It was the first time I had seen her uh, since COVID started. And uh, the restrictions at uh, her facility are loose enough where I, I could go see her finally. It was such a great uh, time together. And so I asked her to record a voice memo as well. I'm not going to do this every visit. But this one I think is really special. Carol, can you go back up in the presentation and let's take a listen to this? Hello. Oh, no. Okay, so here's what's going to happen. Now you can anticipate it. After this, after I get up on stage, I'm going to go up and hook in a cord that I can clearly see I did not hook into the computer. And then you'll be able to hear it at the end of service. All right, so, all right, so, Carol, it's okay. I'll, we'll, we'll come up and we'll clear it. Um, I'll get it working. Right. No, no, it's okay. It's, it, it, it doesn't matter how many times. It's that cord. I'm looking at it. it I didn't put it in. All right. That's okay. We'll get it at the end of service. So hold on to the end of service, and it'll hopefully you'll be blessed uh, to hear grace. Um, okay. All right, well let's jump into uh, introducing today's sermon. So this week I was thinking about uh, the many times I have been listening to a lecture or even a sermon, and I thought that the speaker was coming right to the end. and then you know what happened? They kept going. Now I know this is not your experience. Mark's giving me a face. This is obviously not your experience with me, but you've had that experience where you thought someone was right there at the end and then they just kept talking. It's kind of the way I felt as we stepped into the next piece of scripture that we'll study in first Peter. You see, where we've been over the last few weeks is we've seen Peter talk a lot about, declare a lot of facts about these Christians. He's told them they are chosen. He said they're sanctified by the Spirit for obedience to Christ, sprinkled with His blood. They've been born into a living hope, born into an inheritance that won't fade or spoil. And beyond all that, that they have God's uh, power shielding them through faith. I'm like... Like, that's a wonderful way to introduce the letter. and I'm ready to get into the meat. Like, I'm ready for him now to tell them to do some things. But that's not what we have. You would have thought that was it. After those six big things, you would think that would be it. But no, Peter keeps going. He continues to declare facts about them. That's where we go. The next four verses is just Peter's continual declaration of who they are. And I think it's going to have something to say to us too. So we'll pick up. If you have your Bibles, you can open 1 Peter chapter 1. We start reading at verse 6, and we'll go all the way through verse 9 today. Here it is. I'm reading in the New International Version. And all this, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief. Of your souls. That's just a lot there. There's a lot there. So what I want to do is just want to dig out different pieces of those four verses. And we'll just take it piece by piece. And then we'll come to this moment after we've dug on all those pieces where we're going to make some application right where we live. So take that first part. So let's put up that next slide. Let's just take that first part. In all this, you greatly rejoice. So, what's key as he starts in on this next part, as he continues to talk about who they are, he says, In this, and the this is what's very important. What's he referring to? He's referring to everything he's just said. The this refers to the fact they are sanctified by the Spirit for obedience to Christ, sprinkled by his blood. That means forgiven. They have been born into a living hope, born into an inheritance that won't fade, and they are shielded by God's power through faith. In this, in all of that, they're rejoicing. And and here, Peter says this is the normal order of their life. Then all of that reality, they literally go about life rejoicing. One scholar said it this way. I just like the way he said it. He said this, he said, when Peter starts off here in verse 6, he, Peter thinks such rejoicing and having realities is to be a normal part of the ordinary Christian life. Just literally walking about Rejoicing. Because you and I know that we, we are sanctified by the Spirit for obedience to Christ, sprinkled with His blood, born into a living hope, born into an inheritance that can never be taken, shielded by God's power through faith. With that as your reality, you go about your ordinary life rejoicing. Now what's key is to see in this is not based on a comfortable life. Is this isn't, you aren't going about rejoicing because things are really happy. Like you're really happy and things just feel really good all the time. No, actually, it's the opposite. You see what comes in the next part of the passage. Go, let's go to this next part. So as you're going about rejoicing, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So you're going about rejoicing, but you go about rejoicing even in suffering, now, a couple things here in this in this uh, highlighted section, this piece that we really need to note. The one is that he says, "For a little while, for a little while, you're going through this." And I think it's just really important for us to understand. And this is throughout the Bible. I, literally, we could just string scripture after scripture after scripture to this point that, in the eyes of the of the biblical authors, suffering is always. And is fundamentally temporary. Suffering is not the reality that lasts forever. Not for God's people. Now, one of my favorite passages that gets at this is 2 Corinthians 4.17. 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul says it this way, For our life and momentary troubles are exceeding for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. When you put God's eternal glory up against your suffering, you see how light and momentary it really is compared to eternity. So we just keep in mind that all suffering, every piece of suffering is temporary for God's people. And so it is, as Paul says, light and momentary. So we just keep that. you gotta kinda, you got to always train the mind to keep that in perspective. It is temporary. It is for a little while. And, and then next to that is this really hard one. You have had to. You have had to. A more literal translation, which tra- uh, those translations translate this, it has been necessary. It has been necessary to suffer. That's a hard one for us to swallow, that we would be required to suffer for some reason. And there are just so many reasons that people suffer. There are many reasons that God brings people into suffering. But sometimes it is necessary. For different reasons. Let me just give you a couple. I just want to stay right there in 2 Corinthians. This is a good book for this. Because Paul talks a lot about his own suffering. Uh, take a look at 2 Corinthians 1. Here's what Paul says. For if we are distressed, it is for your comfort. And salvation, if it is for your comfort. So if we have to go through distress, we are going through the distress so that we can receive comfort that we then pass on to you. We, we suffer... So that we then may help you in your suffering. So sometimes we suffer. Sometimes God will have us suffer so that He sets us up so that we can help someone else. Now I understand in the flesh, in our sinful nature, that just seems really unfair. But that's just is reality. And for Paul, he didn't question the sovereign will of God. He just noted, if I suffer, I suffer so that I can help others who suffer. That's a reason, that's a reason, that's a reason. It doesn't mean it's everyone's reason, I'm just saying that's a reason. And sometimes, sometimes we suffer for other reasons. Here's another one. Second Corinthians 12, you probably know the scripture well. 2 Corinthians 12, 8-10. through 10. Paul's suffering with a thorn in the flesh. Something painful is in his life. Here's what he says. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is, more perf- is made perfect in weakness. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, insults, and hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties, and when I am weak, then I am strong. Sometimes God intentionally makes us weak so that we can find true strength in Him. Now, if God is real and His glory is the most magnificent thing in the world, it's the happiest thing in the universe, then that is actually great compassion. That actually is something good. It doesn't mean the suffering is something you go run after. But when God sees fit, it means that He will use it to show us strength. That's really hard for us to swallow, I'm sure. But for Paul, he had to learn to live with it. Three times he pleads. And God says, no, I'm actually going to show you how strong I am in your weakness. And at some point, Paul learned the lesson and he said, I rejoice in my weakness because when I'm weak, I am strong. Because I'm strong in Him. If only we could get to this point, right? Man. But it is suffering that comes with a purpose. And I think something that we need to understand here then is that for whatever reason suffering comes into our life, God will never waste our pain. It's very important for us to understand. God doesn't waste the pain of His people. No matter the purpose He may have for it. And, and just understand, I just picked a couple reasons I can find quickly in this short time span of a sermon. But there are many reasons God may bring pain and suffering. And it may be necessary. But whatever it is, He doesn't waste it. Check out this next part uh, of Of our passage in 1 Peter. This is where he makes it so clear. Here's what he says next. These have come, so these sufferings, they've come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. So when we go through suffering, something happens to our faith. It is proven solid. Solid faith is worth more than gold. Let me summarize it this way. Here's how I want to summarize this section. It's a common experience for a person's faith to get stronger in, moment, in the middle of suffering. Because the person discovers that God is real. And their faith is not just a leap into the dark, but it's solid and it's built on truth. Have you ever had that experience where you walked through a deep valley and you came out on the other side and you said with, some, with, with the psalmist, what you said with David, Although I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't say that on the mountaintop. He says it after walking through the valley, you are with me. You know how he came to know that? Because there are some things you can only learn in the valley when we're in this flesh. And so when you walk through the valley, there's an opportunity for your faith to be proven genuine. Solid faith. And that will carry you forward. Solid faith. Very important for us. Now this whole idea of God using affliction to refine us, to get rid of impurities, things that don't need to be there, kind of like you put gold in the furnace so that it removes the impurities, that idea and that, that illustration is something, uh, an illustration that we find in different places in the Bible and it gets picked up by different biblical authors. Let me just give you one from Isaiah. I wonder if Peter had this echoing in his mind as he wrote verse 7. Here's Isaiah 48:10. See, I have refined you, though not as silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. And when you test a metal in the furnace, it comes out pure. And pure gold is worth great value. Peter says, your solid faith, your the proven genuineness of your faith is actually more valuable than gold. It's weightier, solid, and you'll get through anything with that. Because it's founded on God. He is reality. So this is what's coming out of this suffering is a proven genuineness of your faith. Can I just say right here at this point... Everything I have said to this point is, some, it, it, it is, uh, this is kind of a string of thought that I would have never come up with on my own. Like literally this is coming out of Scripture. You want my opinion on suffering? You probably don't. It wouldn't do us any good. But we stand here on this truth because it's coming from God's Word. God's Word gives us a reality we wouldn't have come to otherwise. And so we stand on this. That's true and solid. And so once we come through the valley, so we come through the valley and we find our faith solid, worth, great value, there's some things that come on the other side of that when you walk that when you walk that journey all the way through life, there's some things that come on the other end that are really pretty amazing. Take take a look, what comes next in the passage? That they may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now there are some scholars that say that this is This is us giving praise and honor and glory to God. And there's no doubt that will be part of our reality forever and ever and ever. But the majority of scholars think that Peter here is referring to what we receive when we have walked through that valley, the proven genuineness of our faith, that on the other end of that is God giving us praise and honor. Check this out. I think these are the kind of things Peter's thinking here. 2 Timothy 4:8 these are some of the last words the apostle Paul wrote you may recognize them now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the lord the righteous judge will award me on that day he's going to get a crown of righteousness and it'll be awarded to him it will be it'll be a crown of great honor this is a man suffering about to die Here's another one. I think this is also what Peter's thinking. I think he probably remembers Jesus saying this. This was the parable of the talents. Matthew 25, 21. This is the servant who did really good things with what he was given. And he got a return on investment. And here in the parable, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. See what the master does? He Praises the servant. And what is often, something you often hear at a funeral of a, of a Christian, is that that Christian will hear, good and faithful servant. There is, this, there is this reality that when we come to that moment when Jesus is finally revealed, where His children will be given praise and honor. Because you gave Him praise and honor and all of it will be to and through and for his glory all of it now the one here that is a little more difficult to interpret is glory we're going to get glory what does that mean i thought glory is all to god glory i get glory you're going to get glory what does that mean one scholar put it this way i think he's nailing it here he says this glory here in 1st peter 1 may relate best to the Christ likeness God will endow every believer with you will become like Christ and that will be your glory your glory won't be your talent and your skills it won't be all of your successes in life it will actually you be it will actually be your becoming like Christ now listen there's a whole list of scriptures we could quote here from different angles i'm just going to pick one Philippians three verses twenty through twenty one. I think this is what, I think this is what the commentators referring to. I think this is the kind of thing we will experience one day. Here it is. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies, so they will be like His glorious body. When we receive glory, we receive His glory. And so when, we are, when we're, we're all hanging out in the new creation and we're looking at each other, and I think we recognize each other as we recognize each other now, guess whose glory we'll be looking at? Christ's glory. For we will receive glorious bodies like His. I don't know what those are going to look like, but it is His glory. So, so as a result of your faith becoming solid through the valley, even when necessary, on the other end of that is praise and glory and honor. Ah, oh, that is a hope worth standing on. But there's actually more. Peter actually doesn't see this as the thing that you don't have words for. There's something else. There's something else that he doesn't know how to. He doesn't know how to put into words. It's this. It's, it's what he says here in verse eight. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not. You believe in Him and you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. This is way above my pay grade. But this is the thing I want. For here now he steps into that reality that he describes as an inexpressible joy. And what that is, is a personal relationship with Christ. It is that believing. Now here the word here is a solid confidence. It is a personal trust. It is a trust in Jesus. God made flesh. The man who walked on earth, died on a cross, was resurrected on the third day, ascended to heaven, the real Jesus Christ. You know Him. same idea is when Adam knew Eve. You know Him. It's knowledge. It's a relationship. And that relationship doesn't have words inexpressible. Joy. Joy. There are really only a few things in life that make you speechless. But if you can think of one of those, that's the kind of thing we're getting at. I wonder if Peter was remembering the words Jesus said to his disciples just hours before he was arrested. John 15. John 15. Verse 11. Jesus said this to his disciples, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. Your joy may be complete. I want you to have complete joy. How do you get that joy? You gotta know Jesus. Listen, I don't know how all that works. I don't know, I don't know how I don't know how to pull a lever and just get inex- inexpressible joy. It doesn't come through drinking or ju- drugs, it doesn't come through sex, it doesn't come through any of the physical pleasures that are af- afforded to human beings. It is a relationship with the living God. God in flesh through Christ. This is the thing I'm pursuing. I want that. I want that thing that you don't know how to talk about. That's the thing Peter says you're getting in the midst of all your suffering. This is on the back end of all of it. Inexpressible joy knowing Christ. And then to summarize everything, he ends it right here. He ends it this way. Verse 9. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And there is, you can say a lot about that last phrase, the salvation of your soul. But the, the thing that would be that, that would be clearest for us to understand is packed inside of the salvation of your souls is all the things we've just been learning about. It's your chosenness. It's you being sanctified by the Spirit for obedience with, to Christ, sprinkled with His blood. It is being born into a living hope that just keeps growing. It is being born into an inheritance, a guaranteed inheritance. It will never fade away, it will never spoil, never be defiled. It's being shielded by God's power through faith, it's being given a proven faith it's by it is it is praise and glory and honor when christ is revealed it's inexpressible joy the salvation of your souls that's what you get yeah suffering suffering is not easy no one wants it and even when necessary who wants to stay there but in the middle of all of it he says this is what's in on the bargain and what a bargain What a bargain. And in eternity, it will all look light and momentary. That's good news for us. All right, let's make some application. We'll try to move this through this quick, but you know, you know it's not going to happen as quick as you want. Just when you think I was ending, I keep going. Here it is. Here's a couple questions I'm asking myself. Is God getting my attention right now? So, if you're going through pain, if you're going through any measure of suffering, you probably need to ask yourself. I'm asking myself, is God trying to get my attention? If this is necessary, it may be for a purpose. What is He trying to tell me? I love this Lewis, C.S. Lewis quote. You may have heard it before. It comes from his book The Pop. Uh, comes from his book The Problem of Pain. Here it is. Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciousness. But shouts in our pains; it is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So I'm just going to leave that question with you. I understand it's easy to complain in pain. I get that. But is God getting our attention? So you just need to be asking that. The first step is just being aware God may be trying to get your attention. All right. Second question. Uh, this is the one. This is the one that can can really get under the skin. Here it is. Second question I'm asking, do I know Christ, or do I only have vague ideas about Him? I want to read you a part of the commentary that John Calvin has on 1 Peter 1, eight. So this comes from John Calvin, that's right, the John Calvin of Calvinism, the John Calvin. 500 years ago, he penned a commentary on 1 Peter. I want to read you his comments on verse 8. Here's what he says. Faith is not a cold notion, but that it kindles in our hearts love to Christ. Our faith does not lay hold on God in a confused and an implicit manner, for this would be to wander through devious paths. But it has Christ as its object. Moreover, it does not lay hold on the bare name of Christ or His naked essence, but regards what He is to us what Calvin is saying is that when you come into relationship with Christ, you don't come into relationship to this vague Jesus. this Just this abstract Jesus somewhere in the universe. He is not, as he says, it's not this confused or implicit idea. It's not a naked idea. It's not just the name of Jesus. It's the reality, the person. It is who He is. You actually have to know Christ. The problem is that a lot of people have vague ideas about Jesus. They know a few things about Him dying on the cross. They know some sense maybe of Him saving us from our sins. But that might be about as far as it goes, if that. Just this vague idea of Jesus. One of the problems is in our day, there's this idea, there's this it's been coined by a sociologist. His name's Christian Smith. He wrote a book in 2005, and he, he termed it what he was finding among most young people. Um, he was a um, a researcher. I can't I think Baylor University. Doesn't matter. Point is, he's found that most young people. He's doing a study of the younger generation that they, even though claimed to be Christians, held to what he called a moralistic, therapeutic, deism. Moralistic Therapeutic Deism. Now, there's a whole book on this. I'm going to summarize it in a couple sentences. Here's what moralistic therapeutic deism is. A, God exists. He wants people to be nice and fair. And life is basically about being happy and feeling good about yourself. In many churches around the country, right now, there are preachers... Preaching how to become prosperous, how to make you feel good about yourself, how God wants you to be nice. That's not biblical. He wants you to be holy. You know what happens when you become holy? You happen to become nice. And do you know that your happiness is not the center of the world? Now, I know those of you who had children, you taught that to your kids. But you may have had a hard time learning it for yourself. Sometimes I think what we do as parents is we say, don't you know the world doesn't revolve around you? And the next sentence in reality is, it revolves around me. But we can't tell them that. There's this pervasive idea among Christians that God's all about your happiness and making sure you feel good. And it's all about you. God is not interested in your happiness. God's interested in your soul. He's actually interested in your joy. He's interested in you becoming holy. He wants to bring you into His life. And if your life is about you, you can't do that. Reminds me of when Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple unless you first come and die. He also said something like this. If, what does it gain a person if they gain the whole world and yet lose their soul. This is a pervasive understanding among Christians today that life is basically about being happy. It's not. Now, this was all, like literally, this was the end of application. And we're about to move to the next step. But then I found a study that was published on August 31st, and I had to share it with you. Can we put up the next slide? I want to tell you where it's from. It's the American Worldview Inventory from 2021. It's from Dr. George Barna. You may know the name Barna or the Barna Group. They're a, uh, a, a prolific research group uh, for many decades. He published this August 31st. Uh, it came out of the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. Let me show you the results. Here it is. 69% of American adults self-identify as Christians. That's 176 million people. Self-identify as Christians. Check out this ne- these next two slides. Of those who say they're Christians, 72% argue that people are basically good. People are just basically good. 71% of those who say they're Christians consider feelings, experience, or the input of friends and family as their most trusted sources for moral guidance. 66% say that having faith matters more than which faith heard that? Just have faith. Just have faith. Across this country right now, there are pastors that are preaching that from their pulpits. 64% say that all religious faiths are of equal value. That's the last two. 68% say that if a person is good enough, does enough good things, they earn their way into heaven. And then last, 52% claim that determining moral truth is up to each individual. There's no moral absolutes that apply to everyone all the time. That's a group of people that don't read the Bible. Because all of that is folly. You are not fundamentally good. We fundamentally can't save ourselves. The world is not being happy. There really is truth in the world. This is what happens when you do not sit in the Scriptures. When you don't sit in the Scriptures, you become unrooted and you are blown to and fro according to whatever culture is saying at the time. Or whatever echo chamber you decided to jump into on social media and go down that rabbit hole. When you get unmoored, when you become unanchored, there's no end to the chaos of your thinking we will not be a church unrooted from the scriptures we will know christ what is christ the christ revealed in the scriptures that's who we will know it will not be a vague idea of god there will be no idea this, this there will be no teaching that you can get your way into heaven or there is no truth or lean in on your own experience to know what is good and right we will stand on scripture When Peter says, although you have not seen Him, you believe in Him. The Him will be the Him of the Scriptures. We will not, I don't want us to ever be a group of Christians who are part of that percentage who believe folly. We stand with truth. We know Him. It is the Him who is revealed. It's very important. If you are not reading the Bible you will be close to that list of beliefs at some point. Alright. Now I really will move to the next step. Here it is. Read John 15 each day this week. There's a lot going on in this next step. I just said it's important to read the Bible. So I thought it would be important as the next step to read the Bible. Why John 15? Because it's Jesus talking. And we want to believe in the revealed Jesus. And why Why like chapter 15? Because he's got a lot to say about being connected and being in a relationship with him. Listen, it's going to take you a minute. It'll take you a minute to read. Maybe a minute and a half. I think you got it. Now this week I'm going to do something to annoy all of you. At least if you're signed up on the text message service. Every day, let's just do 8.30. How's that sound? I'm just feeling 8.30 right now. in the morning, every day, you're going to get a message from the church. Read John 15. All right? All right. Am I spamming you? Yes. Yes, I am. In the name of Jesus, I'm spamming you every day through the text message service. All right. Read John 15 and come into contact with the revealed Jesus. And on the other side of that is the salvation of our souls. Let's pray. God, thank You for Your revealed Word. Thank You for Christ. Not a confused idea of Christ. Not an implicit idea of Christ. Not a naked idea of Christ. Not the bare name of Christ, but the revealed Christ. The Christ in whom we have forgiveness. By whose Spirit we are sanctified. To whom we are obeying. To whom we are obeying. Into, in, in, in and through whom we are born into a living hope, an inheritance that won't fade. And through him you, we are shielded by your power through faith. And through any trial we face, even if necessary, we have a proven, solid faith that will result in praise and honor and glory. And drive us deeper into relationship with the Christ in an inexpressible joy. All of it the salvation of our souls. Help us in that direction. Help us with whatever trial we walk through. And may everything Peter has said be our reality. We leave it in your hands now. We pray it in the name of this Jesus, the Christ. Together we say, Amen.